Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Church of Roy, an armchair All-American podcast. Warning, today's show may include adult language. Now here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve DeWalt. Welcome everybody to the latest and greatest episode of the Church of Roy podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Steve DeWald, Associate Editor of Blazer's Edge. We have a, a special guest today that we're going to kick it to at the end of the show. We have Jeff Garcia from, uh, he's the host of the Locked on Spurs podcast. He also is a contributor for News 4, the NBC affiliate in San Antonio. Really great insight. We, I wanted to bring him on and get an outside look at, at Becky Hammond's resume, some Spurs cultures, just some stuff that we haven't been hearing yet up here in Portland. But before we get to that, we have a, we have a little bit of a show in front of us. And as always, helping me out with that is my co-host here, Brian Wilcox. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Well, Steve, when we sat down to record this pod, my uh, girlfriend's cat decided to puke on the rug. So Woo! we're off to we're off to an excellent start. But uh, also, I uh, just <laughs> on the Peloton about twenty minutes ago, some awful, wonderful lady basically broke me. So if I sound <laughs> a little rough this pod because of that, I I've definitely been taking the Eastern European fitness route during the pandemic and showed up to summer game time yeah. a little out of shape yeah so, yeah i mean I'm, the thing, way, I'm playing my way into shape but it's a rough process i personally haven't been on a peloton but i hope if you're doing the eastern european route hopefully they factor in some Jokic brothers chasing you or something motivate you a little bit you know those guys wow before man. we get fully into it just some fully just full-on terrifying dudes yeah scary <laughs> Like, I don't know if you haven't seen the video yet, it, it's worth looking at. It's uh, basically when the scuffle went on with, with Jokic after he hit campaign in the face. Uh, the, the Jokic brothers were very close to courtside, uh, very scary, uh, standing up, very demonstrative, looked like they were going to come on the floor. It uh, definitely uh, 
you know, between Yusuf Nurkic's father, the Jokic brothers, and some of the other stuff that I've seen out of those, that Eastern European area, I mean, they got some dudes you don't want to mess around with. So that, that is one thing for sure. Built different over there. Yep, built way different. So let's just get into it. I, I wanted to touch on it right off the bat. So since the last time we recorded, the Nuggets were swept pretty decisively in four games. How does that change your perception on how the Blazers went out? Does it? Does it help you put everything into context? Because for me, it's it's a pretty tough look. Yeah, I think that we all knew that going down to a Nuggets team without their second best player and Will Barton missing um, time was a terrible look and a really tough loss for the Blazers franchise. And the fact that Neil continues to beat the drum that, you know, they're right there and kind of gives up that idea is makes it a little harder to swallow when the Nuggets promptly get swept by that Phoenix team. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it really just kind of puts it on display of, you know, the, the gap between a really well put together legitimate Western conference contender <laughs> to what, where the Blazers kind of are in this current iteration. And the gap is pretty wide judging just by that result. Now, grant every matchup is different. The Blazers might've matched up better against the Suns than they did the, the Nuggets matched up against the Suns. So it's tough to, you know, do an apples to apples comparison, but it definitely, definitely a tough look. I think that Portland would have played. That might just be the Homer in me talking, mm-hmm. but I do think that Portland would have played Phoenix a little tougher. Just they had a little more depth, uh, more. I mean, even though they didn't totally show that every game and in the first round, I, I think they'd match up just a hair better than than Denver did. But you can't deny that losing to Denver and having them get swept is a tough look, and really puts a cherry on what's been a strange tough kind of season for for Portland yeah I think I mean like I said not to go fully in the homer zone but I think at least the Blazers while they might not have been able to defend Devin Booker they would have made Devin Booker defend on the other end and Mm -hmm. that's just something that the Nuggets really didn't force Devin Booker to do so he's really able to use that energy on the opposite end of the floor and then also hats off to Aiton had Mm -hmm. had kind of his coming out party in this series agreed Um, Kind of funny to see both DeAndre Ayton and Trey Young advancing into the playoffs deeper than Luca has, <laughs> and Luca's sitting at home now. Granted, Luca is clearly the better player out of that three, but it is kind of funny to see the start of their career, and you know there was so much hand wringing about the mistakes that teams made that picked in front of the Mavericks to see both of those teams, at least two of those teams really advancing now granted the kings you know the kings are the kings but still kind of wild to see but getting back to tough looks i i want to it's so crazy how it all happened so if if you joined us for our saturday locker room brian who attended game four game or game three game three sorry was talking about hey last night was wild like there was this and it was literally the day after Yep. There's this big fight behind me. I turn around. There's 15 people getting kicked out. I guess somebody got sucker punched, all this. And we're like, oh, that sounds crazy. Literally, we like the next thing I see when I log out of that locker room is, <laughs> is the video from Brian's section where it is the now famous video of the Suns fan. Who, Suns and four. <laughs> yeah, Suns and four 
like crazy how much publicity this guy has gotten. But basically, a, a Nuggets fan attempts a sucker punch him. This guy puts him in like the full Happy Gilmore hockey hold, and like is just starting the chainsaw on this guy's face. And and then like my the part that's just crazy to me is he's beating the shit out of this guy, and he looks at his friend. And does the, you know, the sons and four look and I'm going to beat the shit out of your friend and then lets him go. I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't want to like glorify that behavior, but like, but for a second, I fucking understood it. Like, I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So let me get into this. So first of all, it was pretty tough going, you know, I got a free ticket. I'm like, hey, playoff basketball. How can I not go? Went back into the belly of the beast where I'd seen. Portland dropped two in the last series. Mm-hmm. Totally neutral, you know, white tea, not, nothing. <laughs> and uh, was taken in the game. And then I will tell you what, those Suns fans that were in attendance, which I'm sure are not representative of all Suns fans out there, were pretty awful. I mean, I've seen some pretty <laughs> shitty behavior in arenas, but the, the Suns that came over for game – Suns fans that came over for game three were pretty, pretty tough. Pretty, you know, just really – they're the worst. They were the worst kind of road fans. Um, and so we move forward in section 106. We hear a big commotion. I'm like, what the hell? Turn around. It's just like the spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships. The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Pandemonium going on. Mm. Crazy shit. Like people, I didn't see the actual fight, but I saw people get kicked out. Then there are all the whispers throughout the arena. and It was a pretty tense atmosphere in there already. And I think it just boiled over to, uh, well, anyway, I think the Nuggets got through the first punch anyway. So it kind of had what was coming yeah. but. I'd like to reiterate your point that, you know, the fan behavior is pretty abhorrent this whole entire playoffs. And I don't know where this has come from. If people just forgot how to act when they're in public from spending so much time inside over the pandemic or what, but really need to tone it down. Yeah. I I think it's like, I think it's a couple things for me. I think we were always on this natural progression, especially in the States and basketball specifically where we've seen how, the secondary market has changed home arenas as far as from StubHub to SeatGeek, mm-hmm. where it's very easy to access as a visiting fan to sit wherever you'd like. 
and, and you really have that intermingled mix. Now, granted, that doesn't justify this behavior. I have used those services, sat as an opposing fan in plenty of arenas and never had an interaction anywhere close to that. Right. But the seed is planted. So the, I think that's the natural. It's the changing home dynamic, especially in the playoffs. Then, you, like you said, you have this pandemic where everybody's been cooped up for, for this amount of time. And, and it, tensions are high. Everyone's excited to be out. And there's also, like, clear frustration, especially if, you, you know, you're going to watch the home team. You spent this money on these tickets. And then all, like – it's not going your way. And this is not how you envisioned your first trip back out into public. So I, I, and again, not justifying the behavior, but I can see how the seeds have been planted. What I'm curious about is if we see the NBA almost pivot more to a, if this continues more to a European style market, how opposing fans work there, where there's almost a designated section. Like you'll see this in the premier league where there's really a firm divider and security in a lot of these situations. I mean, we see it even in Portland when the Sounders come to visit and play the Timbers and vice versa. We've been there. Uh, yeah, been there. Been there. It does not always stop bad pa- fan behavior. I can speak <laughs> of that. So I, I wonder if that is – if we're going to continue to progress down this line, I wonder if we are going to see barriers um, separating fans from players, which would be, I, I think, just – super sad because I think that is one of the big draws to the NBA. But also, I wonder if we are going to see some level of fan separation. Hey guys, this is Producer Perry, and I want to talk to you about an awesome app that we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Locker Room. It is a live audio-only sports talk platform. You can talk to me, you can talk to Steve, Brian, lots of other insiders and athletes, including Andre Iguodala and Bam Adebayo. It is free to use on all iOS devices, including your iPhone, your iPad, and all things like that. Guys, it's been a blast being able to talk to all of you and communicate uh, in just a different way, a different avenue to to get our points and perspectives across. So all you have to do is go to your iOS app store and download the Locker Room app for free. Yeah, to me, I think the fan-player interaction is almost a worse problem. You know, even that, especially in that first round, there are several instances that were just really, I mean, it's not like the players can do anything, right? They're defenseless. They're doing their job and to have people disrespect them as humans like that's just completely mm-hmm. unacceptable. And I think that's probably where the NBA needs to start. I think some of this fan on fan stuff will get, will kind of peter out. I, I hope, I don't think it, I hope it'll not get worse. I've said that before about certain things in this country have been wrong. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this isn't one of them, but to me, the, the worst issue is the players because they're really defenseless out there and mm-hmm. have stuff thrown at them and, Things like that is just unacceptable. I mean, how crazy is it that, like, you know, it's kind of the reverse, like, Batman motto where it's like, you know, if you live long enough, you, I, I can't remember what it is, like, you eventually become the villain. I'm butchering the shit out of that. But yep. basically, we've seen the exact opposite happen for Steven Jackson. Like, all of a sudden, him going into the stands <laughs> in Detroit, it's like, yeah, bro, I Justified. get it. I get it. Like, you know, that guy was doing the Lord's work at that time. So, again, hyperbole joking here but definitely yep. something that has crossed my mind and i've seen on twitter and i was like oh that's an interesting thought exercise all right let's return our focus to the blazers here because there has been significant news in the last you know 48 hours so basically we've seen our first coaching interviews so mm-hmm. mike d'antoni interviewed on monday and then we had becky hammond and, and chauncey billups interview on tuesday so i i think those three of obviously 
separated themselves from the pack. I mean, they're the first set of interviews. We don't know when the next group is or if there is another group and when those interviews will take place. Brian, any surprises, shocks, or is this basically kind of following the blueprint that you kind of envisioned? I'm still shocked uh, D'Antoni's in the mix, but hey, here we are. <laughs> um, no, I, the more I think about it, I'm not that shocked. But, you know, I think it's been pretty chalk from here on out. I was happy to see um, Hammond get an early interview. Just mm -hmm. she's her credentials are you know right up there with anybody, probably better than Billups if you on mm -hmm. paper, certainly. Um, so yeah, I think I think it was pretty chalk though, and we've talked about those candidates at some length. So obviously we saw it coming, you know. Yeah, I I'm not nothing really stood out. I I do, I wasn't sure how how soon these interviews were going to take place because if you take Neil at face value, which clearly on this podcast we do not. Um, this process was not going to move that fast. Obviously, it did not. So again, uh, another reason to kind of wonder what what motivates some of the things that man says, um, or how in tune he is with the process. So that is to be seen. Um, the real story that kind of popped up yesterday is uh, Ethan Skolnick, who I, I being growing up, born and raised a Dolphins fan, and very familiar with the content that he puts out. I've been reading his work since high school. So I see this rumor pop up and it circulated pretty quick through Blazers Twitter that Eric Spolstra, Portland native at University of Portland, his father was part of the Blazers organization back in the day. He's, he's part, supposedly part of internal discussions with the Blazers as a potential candidate or more in a Blazers position not just so going beyond coaching. So you would assume some player personnel say mm -hmm. he gets kind of floated in this and it just kind of explodes, which granted I aggregated it very quickly. So I added fuel to the fire here, but hell yeah, <laughs> but it just kind of like everybody's kind of dreams. And, and I think we were kind of given a green light to daydream for, for a second. Then very quickly the, the tweet comes down. And then by the evening, Travis Demers, who's the play-by-play, -play, uh, the radio voice do-all for the Blazers, uh, comes out, says he has a source with intimate knowledge of the situation, basically saying, you know, rumors regarding this are basically dead on arrival. Mm -hmm. So take me through the whirlwind. Give, give a little spotlight on the private conversations mm -hmm. that we have as far as, like, I was ready, like, I was on the – cloud nine already and i think you did a very good job of of bringing me back down to earth i never really bought into it i had about 30 seconds where i allowed myself to really soak it in and then through years of of heartbreak and disappointment as a blazers fan i was like there's no fucking way we're getting spolstro yep. and it would take a significant um probably monetary you'd have to pay Spolstra out the ass to bring him in. Mm -hmm. I think that Neil would probably have to go and some, you know, and some, I'm not saying that Spolstra would take his spot, but I think there'd have to be some shakeups of the front office to maybe, if you're going to give Spolstra that much power, I don't think Neil would sit there and just let his power be usurped by, by this new coach. And so to me, there were just too many roadblocks and not to mention he brought the heat to the finals last year. Mm -hmm. uh, him and Pat Riley, even though there was that, a lot was made about Riley's comment about Adebayo's usage um, on offense after the season, but all that to me was just kind of 
bullshit. At the end of the day, I was like, I, 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 I was, I've said it before and I, and I stood by it. That I just never could see that being an actual possibility to get him to Portland. Yeah, I, I think what you said to me that really grounded me, that put, helped me put it in perspective, was you, you basically said, you know, uh, clearly opposite ends of the spectrum about what I'm about to say, but it would have been the wildest thing we've seen in, from an organizational standpoint since Donald Sterling was removed from his position with the Clippers. Yeah, like, it is on that level of, of just wildness. Yeah, the, kind of the, the craziest, like, front office or transaction in the league not involving a player i think is how i termed yeah. it and I, and I stand by that 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 would be wild to see spo who by all accounts is going to be a heat lifer mm. switch teams and come come home to portland i don't think like i don't think it's going to happen this offseason clearly but i do think there is going to come a time where i think eric spolstra is going to come back to portland I, and i i'm just going to cling on to that because i really do think Miami is in for a change with that organization as far as their ownership, you know, heavily invested in Carnival Cruises. Obviously, now is not a good time to be invested in the cruise industry. I, I believe that company hemorrhaged, you know, billions of dollars through the pandemic. So I think there is some changes coming, but it was, it was wild to see that. And I'm interested to see if there is kind of like a postmortem, like, Mm -hmm. They run through it and how that rumor may or may not have started and if there was really any teeth to it. And, and we might see that, you know, a few months from now of how that exactly played out. During those oh. 30 seconds when I allowed myself to dream, I kept, <laughs> I, kept, I kept saying, you know, thinking like, you know, why? Why would Spolster do this? And obviously more power in the organization was the first thing that popped up. But also you do think about that ownership situation, uh, massive losses to Arison's companies. And then I, I kind of thought about, that it was weird that Dwayne Wade didn't end up with an ownership stake in the heat and instead went to the jazz. Mm -hmm. And it kind of seems like a inconsequential thing, but why did that happen? I mean, is there some sort of weird internal dynamic going on there? It's, and that's complete speculation over something that yeah. could be entirely, un uh, entirely unrelated, but it went through my mind as in those 30 seconds when I was. Yeah. There's definitely some, I think there's some shit going on with that Miami organization. And I think anytime a little bit of smoke arises from, let's face it, an organization has been rock solid for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's noteworthy. Now, granted, it's probably not a huge thing to make a huge big deal out of, but like anytime something seems off with, you know, a foundational organization like that, like, you know, the heat are right up there with the Spurs, in my opinion, as far as, what that organization brings to the table and what, you know, it's a target to strive for, for a lot of these other teams. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting day, interesting thought experiment. I, you know, I'm running through my head of a parade that somehow starts at university of Portland and then they get all the way downtown just for Spolstra. <laughs> but I mean, I went, I went in, I just let myself really run with it for a while. And, and, you know, I think it's important to do that as a fan. I, I think, uh, I think we owe it to ourselves, especially after a, a long couple of seasons and, and some disappointments. So Fair. then today comes around like the hits just, you know, it, it just doesn't stop this off season. It feels like, and granted this, the league's still going, but like we have plenty to write about, talk about on the outside. Whereas today we see two new coaches get fired. Yep. So we see Stan Van Gundy get removed from his position with the Pelicans after a single season where they win 31 games, don't even really make a push for the play-in, which is pretty disappointing. And then Scott Brooks 
and the Wizards depart. Brooks was out of contract. They couldn't reach an agreement on a new one. So they're going to part ways. The Wizards are now entering the coaching search. So that brings it to six teams. So, so now starting today, you have the New Orleans Pelicans have an opening. The Washington Wizards have an opening. The Indiana Pacers have an opening. The Orlando Magic have an opening. The Portland Trailblazers obviously have an opening. And then you also have the Boston Celtics. So with that in mind, me and Brian started messaging each other earlier today and we said, hey, we should power rank how if we were a perspective coach, if we could have our pick of the litter of where we wanted to go, how would you rank these openings and opportunities? And how do the Blazers kind of fall into that hierarchy? So Brian, do you want to go ahead and start and just say who would be your least desirable place to go to? So who would be the last on your list? Like your bottom of the barrel, your only option. Who bottom would, to what top. team would that be? Uh, I'm starting with at number six, the Washington Wizards. Um, primary reason there is they've been, well, they have a retaining Bradley Beal. You know, Beal said all the right things, but not to the level of a Damian Lillard, right? But he, he has, you know, really signaled that he's loyal to the franchise, but I just see that being a tough sell. That's a team with, uh, you know, Westbrook's probably not long for that squad. And then there's really no big dynamite prospects to build around. Um, even though they've had some pretty early draft picks. And so you just don't know what the roster looks like in a couple of years. Uh, the roster you have is kind of in that dreaded middle ground where I, it's hard to see them really raising the ceiling of that, of that team. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you're not bad enough to really get any dynamite picks in the next probably as long as Beal's around really. Yeah. 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 So I, I'll just get into my Washington's field because I'm pretty close on where you had them. I had them as my, as my number five team. So not my least desirable team, but pretty damn close. And really it's a lot of the same thing, same things you touched on. I mean, you have Russell Westbrook's contract, Bradley Beal's a good contract, but limits your flexibility. You want a guy like that on your team at that price point. Absolutely. And then you also, I mean, after this season, you have Bertans, who oh. that's, a, that's a rough contract right now, too. Like you said, they do have some – they have Rui Hachimura. They have Denny Avdia. I'm, and see, I'm not huge fans of any of those guys, personally. Yeah. And so, I mean, but there, there are some talent, some athletic talent at, at the forward spot that you could potentially build around. Bertans but, might be their uh, Evan Turner. Maybe not quite that bad, but he's, he's had some rough, be easy. He's had some, <laughs> he signed that deal and he had some rough outings. All at I'm least, at that. least Bertans on paper has marketable NBA skills for this modern era where I don't know if we could have said the same about Evan Turner. Um, but yeah, I, I also think, you know, there's going to be some pressure from, from what Bradley Beal potentially wants if that team doesn't meet expectation. So, so yeah, they're, they're number five on my list. My bottom team, and this might come as a surprise, but I, I don't know if it does or not, is the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that is the least desirable position to go to. Big surprise. Because here's a couple things. Yes, on the positive, obviously you get to Coach Zion Williamson. You have a lot of draft capital. On the other side of the coin, you have Adrian Griffin, who's running the show there. He has shown throughout his history, he is very quick to pull a trigger on a coach. I mean, you look at his time in Cleveland, already you look at his time in New Orleans. Stan Van Gundy got a one-year leash, hmm. and that's all he got. This is also an organization that just went through a painful Anthony Davis departure, and there is going to be pressure 
to make sure that is not replicated with Zion Williamson. And I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on, on the head coaching and, and as far as what they're able to do around them. Also, New Orleans is not really a free agent destination. I, I think their ownership has been a little bit in flux. Now, I think Gail Benson is a fine owner. I think she's kind of righted the ship from some early controversy with her. Done with some her good, good things with that city too, keeping, yep. trying to keep them around while owning the yep. Saints as well. Yep. 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 Just don't ask uh, the Benson children, which they were, Gail wrote them out of the will. So that was real, real rough <laughs> look <laughs> for them. Not a lot of happy campers, but um, really outside of Zion, you're kind of wondering what else you do with this team. Uh, I, I think, there's been some loose rumors as far as Brandon Ingram's happiness with the organization, obviously Mm -hmm. another player who was traded there. Um, Lonzo ball looks like he might bolt this off season too. So I I just think it's a rough situation. Again, my last choice on my list. I'll I'll return to them a little further up the list. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Brian. Who's your, who's your number five? I had the Orlando magic. Um, to me, it feels like an organization that just hasn't really been able to make meaningful strides since really Dwight and Hedu Turk were wandering around. <laughs> and, um, it's kind of a constant rebuild. I, I would say on the plus side, you know, they have a decent pick this year. I do like Jonathan Isaac. I think Cole Anthony's all right. And he might get a long leash, but it just seems like that organization kind of has the stink on him. I think Steve Clifford is a pretty good coach and probably a pretty strong coach for the rebuild that they're continuously going through. But to me, it was, you know, you're kind of in a smaller market, not a free agent destination. You just, their, their length of ineptitude leads me to believe that maybe they don't have the strongest front office Mm -hmm. and you might not get the support you need to really turn that into a consistent winner. Yeah. I, I'll just jump into my Orlando one because you know, my bottom two now. So my Orlando's right up from, from the Wizards on mine, so they're number four on my list. A lot of the same things you touched on. I, I do think you get a longer leash here. I do think you have some cap flexibility in your future. Really, Terrence Ross is kind of the only contract I don't like on this roster. Mm-hmm. I, you have Markel Fultz, which who knows what he's actually going to be. He looked good before injury. Looked like he finally kind of righted the ship. $17 million for the next couple seasons you're going to make a choice probably at some point between Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter. So I think you are going to have your foundational big man at some point, hopefully one of those two guys gets it together. And then, like you said, Cole Anthony, Jonathan Isaac, guys that I think you can build around in this Mm -hmm. league. Like you said, not really a free agent destination, but you do have the benefit of no state income tax in Florida, which we have seen historically. This is a franchise that was able to land Grant Hill and Tracy McGrady. They haven't done anything for us lately. I don't know if they're able to replicate that, but they at least have some history in their past of being able to land somebody big. Um, To me, this seems like if it was a power rankings for GM, I think mm -hmm. Orlando would be quite high. I think that's that's an excellent observation. But as a coach, you're not in charge of the roster. You got to play with what you got. And I think that, to me, that just drops down the list for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you jump to your number four since we already kind of know where I'm, what I'm cooking with here. Okay. Indiana Pacers. Um, you have a solid core with uh, Brogdon, Levert, Sabonis, uh, Miles Turner, which I'm assuming that two big situations can get figured out at some point. TJ Warren, um, even though this year's coach, I mean, he sounded like, I can't really pronounce his name, 
but mm-hmm. it sounded like an, just an absolute yep. disaster. No one liked him. But before mm-hmm. that, McMillan was there for quite a quite some time with kind of that former Blazers yep. um, brain trust. So I think you do get stability in that in that franchise typically. Mm-hmm. But they remind me a bit of Portland in the fact that it's like, I think you're going to be expected to make big improvements with that roster or sorry, make big improvements to essentially your win loss record with the same roster. They're kind of, they don't have a ton of flexibility. They're going to start giving out, you know what I mean? Like, it just kind of seems like you're going to have to do, you're not going to get a bunch of reinforcements. You're kind of there. Um, Obviously there were situations on the list, but they're middle of the pack for me. Yeah. I, yeah, there. I mean, I think we're basic. I think it, it, this list is showing up like I think we only have major one major discrepancy between the two of us. So Indiana was the next on my list, or number four. Um, again, I'm not going to argue too much with what you said. I think that's my main flaws. I think there is an attractiveness of having an All Star and Demontis Sabonis on your roster. I believe they have a trade to make with Miles Turner that will get you something back. I think Karis Levert is interesting. I think T.J. Warren and Warren is interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, obviously, Malcolm Brogdon, who uh, – this team's just got to stay healthy. And we've seen that. I mean, Lord knows we've seen that here in Portland where there is – you know, everything's got to go right in a small market, and that includes health. And it's always kind of a weird place to be. So if you are a coach, I don't know if you want to roll the dice on that because you know you're not going to get readily reinforced all the time in this Ross, in, the, in this market. So Did you say you had them at three? Four. Oh, yeah, or no, four as well. No, 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 three, three. Sorry, sorry. Three. Uh, yeah, I'm one, I'm one ahead. So, yeah. Okay. All right, Brian, why don't you – we'll just keep moving this along since we've been so close through here. So, why don't you go to your number three since we know Indiana's at my number three. It's our own Portland Trailblazers oh. coming in at number three. Um, they have the best player out of all these openings. He is – a little older than some of the top flight players, so maybe not as long of a runway, but you're talking next season, you have, well, second mm-hmm. team All-NBA, which is yeah. we'll a discussion point for later. But, you know, <laughs> just, a, just a top flight player, top flight human as, their, as, your mm-hmm. best, as your best player, which is super attractive just, in, just right there um, in a vacuum. Uh, for me, similar to how we talked about Indiana, there's some cap gymnastics you're going to have to pull to really – improve this roster so you are going to have to go out there and do more with the same and for me it really comes down to these guys by these guys i mean our blazers might be higher if their gm didn't just have a press conference where he threw his the second winning as coach in franchise history under the bus then backed up hit him again then drove off you know what i mean like i, I just think that the expectations are sky high in Portland next year. Maybe not sky high, but they're high. They're top four seed in the West compete. And so if you fall short of that, you might be hanging out with Stan Van Gundy the year after next. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? You might just be Stan Van Gundy. So, <laughs> but, uh, um, I, I think we're following a very similar pattern here. Uh, Portland's number two on my list. Um, yeah, I, I, you touched on it earlier in the podcast when you're talking about Spolstra as far as what kind of power dynamic it would be if he came here and Neil O'Shea would be here. Yeah. Like, you know, basically, what's the opposite of a power vacuum? Like, that's what you're going to. Like, you're, you're going to be hired into a situation where you have someone who is 
manipulative with the media has changed narratives has made your job harder with roster mm -hmm. decisions. So yeah, that's tough, but all things considered, this is a team with the best player on the list. Damian Lillard mm -hmm. is a franchise pillar. You do have, if you can make it through this season, you potentially are looking at some flexibility and some say in future moves. Uh, the Blazers cap situation definitely frees up a lot more after this next season. Um, you just got to make it to there. This is, uh, I would say, probably the most high pressure of all the situations as far as just from kind of what Damian Lillard's laid out through some of what he said through Chris Haynes, what he's messaged after, after the exit against the Nuggets. So, yeah, there's some pressure attached to this situation, but also traditionally Portland has been a very good market to coaches – Mm -hmm. who can basically just kind of keep everything together. Now, the expectation is obviously a little higher than it normally is here, especially for an incoming coach. But I don't know. I still think they're number two, not quite number one for me. I am very interested to see what your next selection is because we are headed towards a massive disagreement. So go yeah, ahead, Brian. I agree. And just two things I didn't really hit on, too, with Portland is you do have an ownership group that's historically been willing to spend, which as a mm -hmm. coach you love. Um, granted there have been rumblings that that ownership group could be in flux, which wouldn't help you out at all, but I don't think there's really been anything substantial on that note. really since a few months after, uh, Jody Allen really took controlling ownership of the team or mm -hmm. power essentially. And then the other one is Olshay has, I believe one year left on his deal. And so it might be two, it might be two. Yeah. It's it's not a long runway though, and so his you know typically a GM wants to bring in his guy. If Olshay's gone, you might be gone too. So mm -hmm. there could be a, a changing of the guard, and you might be going with it shortly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they're a little lower. But they didn't have Dame, man. I, I don't know <laughs> yeah. where Portland is. Yeah, that I I don't really even want. Well, that's a tough. That's an interesting thought exercise, right? Let's there, not go guys. there. Let's not yeah. go there. No. Oh, you don't want to build around CJ McCollum and use some kid? All right. Who's your number two? Hey guys, this is producer Perry, and I want to talk to you about an awesome app that we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Locker Room. It is a live audio-only sports talk platform. You can talk to me, you can talk to Steve, Brian, lots of other insiders and athletes, including Andre Iguodala and Bam Adebayo. It is free to use on all iOS devices, including your iPhone, your iPad, and all things like that. Guys, it's been a blast being able to talk to all of you and communicate uh, in just a different way, a different avenue to, to get our points and perspectives across. So all you have to do is go to your iOS app store and download the Locker Room app for free. Your New Orleans Pelicans. And number two, um, you made a good point about Griffin being a little, um, he's quick with the trigger on coaches for sure. But to me, this is all about Zion. You have a mm -hmm. potentially generational talent. I think health is a concern with him always, but he certainly looks the part, right? Kind of a different breed of, of athlete than NBA has really ever seen. And I think you could do so many cool things with that guy at his size. I think he'd be a real coach's dream. I think Brandon Ingram, while long-term, there might be some weird fit issues with him and Zion. Ingram's still a lot younger than any of us really think. And his prime is ahead of him. And so to me, it's just about those two guys, their youth, um, the draft capital and, yeah, mostly Zion, let's be real. Yeah, I, I think 
Zion's a two-way street though. Like I think when you have a generational talent, it's like having a really nice sports car at your house. And, and you know, you wash it and wax it once a week, but you're going to have everybody in the neighborhood going like, well, I'd clean it this more often and I wouldn't open it up like that. And you know, I wouldn't do that with this car. And we've seen that happen with Milwaukee. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo is a generational talent, very similar to what Zion brings to the table. And, I mean, it's happening right now in this postseason where everybody has an opinion. When, when the talent level and the physical attributes stick out that much, mm-hmm. everybody has a take on how they would utilize them. And very rarely, unless it's like ending in titles, very rarely is that good for the current existing coach. You're going to have everybody second guessing you. Like, I think if you're up for the challenge and you have the right mindset as a coach, I think that's a great fit. But also like the margin for error is so small and you're going to get scrutinized like crazy. And that also plays into one of my main points of there's just institutional trauma with that team is after Anthony Davis left. We've, we've seen how the Blazers have acted since LaMarcus Aldridge has left. So I, I think it's a combination that makes that job very dicey. And I think that's why I put them there, but I do understand the, 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 the idea of Zion is very well. Well, that's a fair point about the criticism and stuff, but, but while you're worried about what, what people are saying about how clean your car is, I'm taking that car out and driving 90 <laughs> and yeah. just having a blast with this multidimensional guy who can do so many cool things on the basketball court. And yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Might, yeah, only well, make it, might only make it a year, but hey, it's going to be a hell yeah. of a year. Yeah, if you're driving 90, you're probably <laughs> going to get into a car wreck. So let's just oh, keep thanks. going. We can just do this analogy forever, but yeah. True. So obviously we know where New Orleans is for me. So now we're down to, to numero unos on our list. So the, the only one team left for both of us, it's the Boston Celtics. I won't try to eat up too much of why I would want to go there. It's pretty simple for me. Mm-hmm. You have – a new GM that just came from a coach's position. I think it's, it, it could go either way, but I, I do like the, Agreed. I think Brad Stevens has the temperament to be someone who is knows where the flaws are in this roster and might really help you try to adjust them. and might be really receptive. I mean, we've all had the manager who has been promoted that was once your peer that either one is I'm going to do everything how I want to do it or two remembers what it's like to, wish that there was more collaboration with the previous manager. So hopefully Brad Stevens breaks that way. And then also, I mean, very clearly you have two great young players at positions of need in, in Jalen green and, or Jalen Brown. <laughs> I do Jalen green. I think that's twice now on this podcast. So Jalen yeah, Brown and, uh, and Jason Tatum. So I, I think that's a, you're off to the races. Yep. Two young star wings. And that's really, it. it's, it's a rich basketball tradition out in boston so i guess if you had to point to a negative it might be the the microscope being on you constantly mm-hmm. i think brad stevens went to the president to kind of the scapegoat in, in two years or something like that mm-hmm. and so that's another one where you have to be up for up for the ride and, and ready to ready to go but um yeah i think it's a pretty easy choice in my in my eyes i think you know, we, we talked about the flip side with Orlando where it might be a more attractive place to be a GM instead of a coach. I think Boston and Portland probably rank close to the – and the Wizards rank pretty low on the list of a team you'd want to be a GM of. I think the, mm-hmm. the Celtics have kind of boxed themselves into a corner as far as Kemba's contract and, and you know, some of the, the, the once 
plentiful draft capital that they once had is now basically depleted. Sure. So I, I think it's uh, – I, I still think they're the number one choice, though. So I, I, other than New Orleans, I think we were pretty damn close. Um, sure. Just a quick note, we came up with this list, an idea before uh, I believe Hollinger came out with a very similar exercise. So go check that out if you can um, and just see how we rank there. I, I will check it out after the show that way. There's not any overlap in our thought. If there is anything, it's more parallel thought than anything. Mm -hmm. um, before we get to the interview with Jeff Garcia, I did want to touch on the all NBA voting. I, you know, this is something that we kind of saw coming. If you go back and listen to the podcast where we talked about all NBA voting, this was something we were worried about. Basically NBA first team is Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic. That pushes Damian Lillard to the second team. Second team is Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Joel Embiid. We kind of saw this coming as far as how teams and voters were going to treat Luka. They treated Luka as a guard, which was obviously bad news for Dame. Brian, any surprise here? What's your take, or, or did we kind of see this coming? I think my surprise was I didn't fully understand the voting. I thought that <laughs> everybody <laughs> would vote. And then, you know, Dame had more all NBA points than Kawhi, but since, and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I'm still kind of confused on this one <laughs> that uh, Luke had more votes at guard though. So he was slotted in as a guard, which opened up the spot for Kawhi. I thought that with this positional flexibility, people would, would kick, people Luka would vote. Down. And then, then they'd slot it like, okay, there's Jokic at, at center. Your two forwards, oh, Doncic has more than Kawhi. He's a forward, so he's going forward. And then Dame and uh, Curry would have made the guard spot. So that was a little surprise to me to see Dame have more points but still make the second team, which is – I thought, I thought that's, that was why they were doing the positional ver versatility there was to kind of avoid these situations, but I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you said, seeing how – voters basically have to decide what position they're slotting guys into. And that's basically constructed through the ballots that they submit. Um, the point gap between Lillard and Luca is only 30 points. The point gap between Lillard and Kawhi is almost 50. Mm -hmm. So it, it is pretty, pretty shocking to see. I mean, there is a clear hierarchy in how the voters voted for guards. Steph Curry ran away with this thing as far as guards go. I mean, he was a, an MVP, MVP finalist uh, with 496 points in the voting process. That said, after you get to Lillard, there is a significant drop-off before you get to Chris Paul, 372 to 311 as far as the point total goes. It's just kind of a bummer. I was hoping to see Lillard get that first-team nod. Mm -hmm. That would put him in, in exclusive company as far as the Blazers franchise goes. Um, only Clyde Drexler he he is tied with Clyde Drexler right now with first team uh, all NBA teams if he would have got the second one obviously he's in a class of his own top of the list so just kind of a bummer I, I think it yeah. he still has a window for it to happen obviously so hopefully he gets it next year I've seen a lot of kind of notes about how Dame's so disrespected and all this and it's I think you could add, you could pull a bunch of random fans and there's probably a pretty good distribution of people who thought Dame should have made it to me I think that where the real inflection point or the real thing that pushed Curry and Luca into that first team was 
more recency bias than flat out disrespect. Mm-hmm. Um, Lillard went off when the team needed him to with CJ Nurkic out. If it would have been reversed, his first half of the season was the second half. I think he would have ran away with the first team nod. But while he kind of got banged up and had a rough April, um, I think that recency of that outweighed some of his earlier season play when he, and again, when the team need him most, he plays best. And so just to the people out there that think it's flat out disrespect, I think the three guys are very close. And really the recency bias was kind of what pushed those other two forward and dropped in the second. Yeah. And really, I mean, I think it's important you mention April. It's the Blazer slump team-wide. Lillard has his roughest stretch as an individual player. And typically, from what I understand and the voter, the people I know who have votes, that's typically when they kind of are putting the finishing touches on the mm-hmm. thought process for their ballot. So yeah, like you said, just a terrible case of timing here for, for Lillard. Um, that said, I, I think, you know, another small bit of news we have this week, uh, small depending on how you look at it, I think it'll get more buzz, obviously, as the season goes on or the offseason goes on. But he is committed to Team USA for the Olympics this year. Yeah, I think that's going to take his profile to another level. I think he's going to be a key part of this team. Um, We haven't seen a Blazer really play a key part of Team USA basketball in a very long time. So I I think it it has a chance to move him into rare air again there. And and you're, you're kind of hopefully he gets a title but you're building the Carmelo case of, you know, well, Carmelo doesn't have a ring, but he does, you know, have multiple gold medals. So hopefully Lillard adds to his cachet through that Avenue. Yeah. I was stoked to see him come out and want to play. It's great. All right. We're going to kick to Jeff Garcia. Now a great interview, a lot of really good insight on, on Becky Hammond again, and, and kind of Spurs culture there. There's a surprising, I don't know if necessarily surprising, but, it was good to see the overlap that really the Blazers have built here with that Spurs organization and kind of both teams are facing uncertainty. Both teams have had a lot of teams in the West leapfrog them in recent years. So very, very fun conversation. Jeff Garcia after the show, go follow him. He, he's a, he's really insightful, good guy to listen to just from a small market perspective. So again, great interview, stick around for it and we'll catch you guys next week. All right, everybody, I, we are joined today with a special guest, Jeff Garcia. He is the host of Locked On Spurs. He also is a writer contributor at News 4 San Antonio. We're very lucky to have him here today. We definitely want to talk about Becky Hammond after her interview on Tuesday with the Blazers. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, interesting offseason for both of our clubs, <laughs> your Blazers and the Spurs. But, uh, you know, one of the bigger storylines for both teams that mirror each other are, is the coaching status moving forward. We know what's going on in Portland. you got to find a new person in San Antonio. It's who is going to be the person moving forward. Will it be Pop? Will it be Becky? Will it be somebody else outside the family or in the family? We don't know yet. But, yeah, de- definitely uh, times are changing in both clubs. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, from free agency to the coaching staff, there, there's a lot here and Unfortunately, the, both the Blazers and the Spurs have seen a few teams in the Western Conference kind of leapfrog them in the last few years. I mean, the Spurs are more on a natural curve, I would say, in franchise building. But, but definitely, you know, we've seen the teams like the Suns, the Nuggets. Some of the, I mean, I think Memphis is knocking on the door, too, obviously. So it, it's definitely a, mm-hmm. some, some turnover in the Western Conference. But, but that's a yeah. podcast for another day. Um, <laughs> I do want to talk about Becky Hammond. I, I think – 
we kind of had this whirlwind Eric Spolstra moment yesterday in Portland. I think that's everybody's wish list here. Obviously, I think any team would be lucky to have him, but obviously Spolstra's connection with the city of Portland kind of always makes him that. Now that dust has kind of settled, you know, Becky Hammond, I think, is, has been on the forefront, especially over this last week. I think it's, it's really, in my opinion, Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammond are two kind of 1A, 1B, those top two targets for the Blazers. I wanted to have you on to kind of just clear some things up because one of the popular things that we've heard up here in Portland is, you know, oh, well, Becky Hammond's not going to interview anywhere. She's the, the clear heir to when Greg Popovich right. steps down as coach. Can you just explain real quickly how the hierarchy works in San Antonio and what has Becky yeah. Hammond's role kind of been since she's been with the Spurs? Yeah, uh, she came on um, early uh... – well, 2014, I believe, mm -hmm. and just kind of on a volunteer basis, uh, she got banged up playing in the WNBA and um, needed to pass some time away, so she volunteered, and uh, the rest is history. You know, latched on, uh, got a spot on that assistant coach bench, then, you know, got bumped up to the first assistant coach, and then here we are, you know, a hot commodity when it comes to who will be the next, whether it be in San Antonio or in, your, uh, in Portland or in, elsewhere. Uh, she, she's definitely paid her dues. Um, you, you know, Pop, you know, this past season, I can tell you this, is when I really saw her running things a bit more than usual. There was timeouts. She was leading the team. There was Pop on the sideline. She was shoulder to shoulder for most of the game, whispering in his ear, talking to him, shouting out directly. She, she seemed more active this year. And I think that just told me that her progression from – 2014 till now that she feels she's ready. She's getting a lot of publicity about it. She's on the record saying that she wants that next step, which is the head coach of an NBA uh, team. She's primed and ready. You look back at her history prior to, to right now, we're talking, you know, she's turned down multiple college offers. She even turned down a job offer at her alma mater to run the men's head coaching uh, department as the head coach. She said, no, her goal is to get that NBA, uh, title as head coach so we know where her eyes are at now as far as the hierarchy technically she is the first assistant coach as we speak right now but there has been a lot of discord if you will regarding that in san antonio because you rewind to two seasons ago and um you know pop's always gonna get tossed out of one game in the season at minimum so he got tossed and here it is history is about to be made and lo and behold, it was not Becky taking over. It was actually Tim Duncan when he was an assistant coach. So um, the hierarchy is different. I, I would say it's multiple. Pop says it as a, it's assistant coaching by community. So case in point, last a couple of seasons ago where well, Tim Duncan did it because he scouted the Suns. Uh, you know, Will Hardy did it because he scouted the Knicks. You know, that was the thing. Oh, and then Becky got her shot down the road we saw this past year where um, she became the uh, his head coach making that history moment. So it's always in flux. Pop is always, you know, just do, throwing these little curveballs as we've seen with uh, not only rosters, but also with his coaching staff. But I think as the days go by, he started starting to settle in that she is that first lead assistant coach. Um, and yeah, I think moving forward, whether she stays in that position next season or not, uh, all signs for her to uh, take the label of a head coach. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. 
she's been a hot commodity for quite some now. It's not just this year that her name is a vacant head coach of positions. This has been going on in, for NBA vacancies for the last two seasons. You look in New York, a couple of seasons ago they wanted her, you know, nothing happened. Milwaukee wanted her, and ironically, they went with Coach Bud, another former Spurs coach. So she's knocking on the door. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of which team is going to do it, and will it be in San Antonio or elsewhere? I tell you this much, though. It's it, the Spurs are kind of in a corner now because yeah. they're the team that built her up. And let's just you know enter the the uh, what if scenario here. You know, what if does Thompson says right now, okay, I'm done. It's been a good ride. See you later. And the Spurs go, okay, we're going to announce that Will Hardy got it. I mean, that's just going to be an uproar. So yeah. the Spurs kind of back themselves into a corner right now. It's interesting to see what's going to happen with that, with her and San Antonio moving forward. But I get why your Blazers uh, would, would like to have Hammond on the sidelines. Yeah, I think there's actually, I mean, going, coming back to one of your earlier points, I think there is some parallels to draw here between the two franchises. I think we kind of saw this happen with the Blazers as far as what the clear delineation was after Stotts. I mean, you had Nate Tibbetts and David Vanderpool, and, and they kind of were forced into a decision where what, how they wanted to move forward. And obviously Nate Tibbetts stayed with the Blazers. Uh, Vanderpool went on to the, to the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. Kind of in that same idea, I know it's hard because it's not like football or baseball even where you have these very specialized coaches where you can point to, hey, this is an offensive coordinator. Hey, this is a hitting coach. When it comes down to what, what, is, what do you feel Becky Hammond has brought philosophy-wise to, to the Spurs? Or what do you think, what are some of the stu- things that you could see her carrying over? Let's say she does get the Blazers job. How do you yeah. think she would utilize Damian Lillard? and the current setup, and what, what have we seen from Becky that could potentially carry over to Portland if she does get the job here? Well, I think first and foremost, I think the obvious is that San Antonio championship pedigree, uh, what it is to run in order to run a team uh, with the years of experience she has uh, learning from Popovich. She's um, even worked side by side with Tim Duncan as coaches. So there's even that, you know, picking the brain of one of the greatest NBA players ever. So I think that value will head over. And you look at what that has done for other teams. You look at Quinn Snyder. He's, he's, a, he's a pop disciple. Look what he's doing in Utah. Look what uh, Taylor Jenkins is doing with, uh, with, the, uh, with the Grizzlies. You know, another pop disciple. Uh, you're, you've seen it with uh, Brett Brown. I know it maybe didn't end right, but, you know, he had yeah. some success with, with Philadelphia. And um, it's, it's – you so – the fruit is there, you know, yeah. the, the proof is there, you know, uh, an assistant coach from the San Antonio system pans out for the most part. Um, and I think that will, that'll be the first thing that would happen if Becky were to pick the Blazers or if job offer was made. Uh, another thing too, I, I think she appreciates what it is to develop a culture. Um, the Spurs, despite, you know, they're going through a transition right now in their franchise, and yeah, maybe they're not the great Spurs that they used to be, but there is still that culture. In my opinion, I think the Spurs overachieve last year. I, I, I had them dead bottom cellar dwellers in the West, you know, thinking like there's no way this young team is going to be, you know, in the thick of things. But yeah, here they are. They at least made it to the play-in. So kudos. I think that was a big success. Yeah. Becky was a big part of that too. It's not just simply what the Spurs individual players think about her and they all think she's great. 
but you look around at what she can bring to Portland is, you got to say, you know, an, a piece that could attract free agents. It's not mm-hmm. just Spurs players that like her. It's the NBA players like her. She's gotten a reintroduction from LeBron James to former players to current players, your Chris Pauls, your, your Devin Bookers. They all like her. So that could be a thing that maybe could attract a free agent or uh, to Portland. Like, hey, you know, you get to play with Coach mm-hmm. Becky. You know, that'd be great. That's awesome. Another thing, too, I think, is that, uh, well, you understand where I'm coming from here. Yeah. I mean, I'm with Popovich, who's 70-plus right now, and the vibe in San Antonio and amongst Spurs fans is, yeah, they new blood at that position. You know, thanks, <laughs> Pop. You know, we appreciate it. But that's just the fan base voice. But So yeah. she's young. She's energetic. She's hungry. She's paid her dues. She knows what, to, what it takes to uh, lead a team. She's already done it on one occasion, and at least when she stepped in when Pop got tossed last year. Yeah. And I think she's primed and ready. I think her experience as a as a basketball player is going to help a, a guy like Damian Lillard. And she was a point guard. She knows what it takes. She's a high-scoring, volume-shooting point guard and lit up the night. She's doing that. She's bringing that player-coach experience. If you're getting that to the guys like your DeJounte Murray's right now, your Derek White's in San Antonio, your Trey Jones, the rookie. So I think that would help Portland as well. Yeah, I, I think she she definitely checks a lot of boxes. And I guess the the other thing too, I mean, I, I think you've done an excellent job of kind of laying out what, what Becky Hammond's brought to the table and what she could do down the road. I, another I, kind of surprising off topic a little bit, Brent Berry's another name that's come up with Portland. Just mm-hmm. real quick, can you just kind of touch on what his role has been in his transit? It sounds like he was a started as more of a coach and now is more in a front office position with San Antonio. Can you just touch on what his role has been real quick in San Antonio? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's more behind the scenes right now. You really don't see him active. You know, he's on the sidelines. or anything. He's the vice president of basketball ops. You know, and that's pretty much it. You know, there's really not much more to say. You know, I really haven't seen any type of a tip of the cap to uh, Barry as far as what he's done. I'm pretty sure he's doing a bang-up job behind the scenes. But he's interesting. You know, when his name popped up, that kind of threw me back a bit because I was thinking, well, you know, he doesn't have any coaching experience at all. Mm-hmm. You know, he's won a title with San Antonio, not once but twice. You know, he's he's played the game, won a dunk contest in San Antonio. But, uh, but you know, maybe it, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, he has a basketball mind and, and you know, he's in this first system again. You know, he's learning the background, and I think he's, I think his path, though, in my opinion, is more suited towards the uh, Sean Marks department. Sean Marks, you know, earned his stripes behind the scenes in the front office with San Antonio, and then moved on to Portland. I'm sorry, excuse me, to Brooklyn. Excuse me. And you're seeing Brooklyn do its thing right now as we speak in the playoffs. Uh, so you, I think you see a lot of that. I, you know, Barry. I mean, hey, you know. Maybe he should start Becky's route, you know, start an assistant coach. I mean, it'd be really interesting for him to leapfrog the whole process into straight into a head coaching spot. In my opinion, I think your Blazers are better off with Hammond. Yeah, yeah. I I think Brent Barry, I mean, I mean, the best case scenario, I guess, would be like a, a Steve Kerr type rise where you kind of skip over the coaching yeah. part of it. But I, I don't think Brent quite has that pedigree yet on that side either. So – Coaching out of the way, I, I would hate to pass on this opportunity without having to ask you about LaMarcus Aldridge, obviously a player right. that means a lot to everybody in Portland. There's been a lot of discussion on what his legacy 
will be going forward now that he's retired in Portland. I'm interested to kind of talk to someone from San Antonio as far as what what's LaMarcus's legacy? What's the memories? What What's the lasting impact of LaMarcus Aldridge in San Antonio now that his career there has come to an end? That is an excellent question. Uh, and I've talked about this on Lockdown Spurs. You, you look at the Spurs history and they've had some great players wear that silver and black uniform. Uh, you know, I did one where like, okay, let's name the top 10 Spurs, you know, and he fell out of the top 10 in our list. Uh, you know, you could pretty much get rid of the usual suspects, you know, your big three, you know, Timmy, Tony, Amanu, uh, Dave Robinson and Gervin. So there's five right there. Yeah. Okay. Then you have to go, then you go Kawhi Leonard, you know, you go Sean Elliott, uh, you go, you know, the list goes on and on. And he, LaMarcus felt like right at 11. Um, I wouldn't bore you with the other one because there's some really old, old ABA Spurs. So <laughs> I don't have time yeah. with that. Yeah, but you look at LaMarcus in San Antonio, I think he did a good job. And I always felt that he – I would it was bad timing. I think that could be it. First of all, one thing that San Antonio applause, applauds him about and really appreciates him about is that he was the first and only, as of right now, we don't know, but as of right now, big name free agent to choose San Antonio. Before LaMarcus Aldridge, there had been never, not one of a big name free agent to say, you know what, I want to go to San Antonio. He did that. So that's why he gets a lot of love in that department from the, from the fan base from the city. Yeah, yeah. Think, <laughs> yeah. We all painfully, we painfully remember yeah. that decision up here in Portland. But yeah, no, huge deal. I mean, the shoe yeah, could have easily huge. been on the other foot too for us. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was huge. And and you look at the timing of it. The timing was just so off. You know, and there, I, in my opinion, I think there was a lot of expectations. Right when he announced that he was going to sign in San Antonio and then, you know, shortly thereafter, there was that famous Sports Illustrated cover. It was Tim Duncan labeled the mentor and LaMarcus average the, uh, labeled as a student on that cover. So there's that. There's that expectation that he was going to be the next. You know, and when you plaster a picture of him and Timmy together, pronouncing it in a major publication like that, yeah, there's some high expectations. Interesting, though, is that the timing after all that, you know, hoopla and everything, it just – you started to see that something was off. Um, first of all, the game was changing. The NBA was changing rapidly, and that was faster pace, more volume threes, big men that are not traditional – you know, down the block, do your thing, you know, a la LaMarcus Aldridge. So there's that. And then there's what was supposed to be the pairing of him and Kawhi that just fell completely apart, completely apart. Kawhi pulled his stunt in San Antonio right when LaMay was getting going, right feeling his, his way in everything. That was right after that first time around that he wanted out of San Antonio. A lot of people forget that. It was nearly at right immediately, maybe after the season two seasons he spoke to pop saying he wanted out and pop talked him off the ledge they, they said, we're going to pair you and then that's where he got that big major extension um so then you know you pair him with Kawhi, and then you're thinking that's the tandem right there that's the tandem's going to take you to that it worked out for the most part until you know Kawhi got hurt and then that's when the fell off of that idea so now here he is trying to have to like just immediately thrust everything this is your team now lamarcus and credit to him, he willed that team after the, uh, the, the Kawhi Leonard injury the following season 
to the playoffs. It was all him. I mean, he carried that team into playoffs and did the best he could, but he just never had that solid help in San Antonio. You add in that you're seeing other players slowly emerge um, in the, within the team. You're DeJounte Murray's, uh, you know, and then you to his final season, uh, you know, maybe not at his level, but just what the team needed, and that being Yaka Pirtle. Yaka Pirtle just was a better statistically, you know, analytically a better fit. And they tell him, we're going to go with Yaka, but you're going to go to the bench. Did not work. And that's how it happened. So it just felt like timing was off. The game was changing. Kawhi's um, saga in San Antonio was getting a fever pitch with the drama out there. Um, you know, and credit to LaMarcus, till the bitter end, he still was willing to adapt his game. He worked hard in the offseason on his three-point shot. He was starting to knock him down in San Antonio. I mean, he was taking, a, you know, for him, a lot of shots, quote-unquote. But, again, you know, things just never seemed to fit. I wanted it to work so bad. I, I felt when he when LMA was signed, I was thinking, this is it. It's great. The big man legacy continues in San Antonio from Robinson to Duncan, from Duncan to LaMarcus. And it just – just something was never – clicking right but all in all I, I think a lot of Spurs fans respect him there's a lot of uh, love towards him um, even though maybe the last season didn't pan out great but all in all you got to appreciate what he did for for San Antonio at least keeping them in the thick of things when you're seeing the Tim Duncan era come to a close the Kawhi Leonard era just falling apart um, all in all you got to tip your cap to him man it's a uh, <laughs> it's crazy to listen to it from from this side is from your side as well, because really, I mean, that's the LaMarcus is basically his career arc here in Portland too. I mean, he is the yeah. gap between the Brandon Roy era and the Damian Lillard era. And, and really it is two eras that one that just completely collapsed and really kind of failed to launch with Greg Oden and Brandon Roy. And then you have the meteoric rise of Damian Lillard, but the roster kind of crumbles around him mainly by that LaMarcus Aldridge decision to go to San Antonio. But yeah, definitely some great and, insight. And, 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 you, and you and you go. I'm sorry. You go back to that decision. I mean, it kind of was a no-brainer, you know, for mm -hmm. LMA to pick San Antonio because I think it was San Antonio, Phoenix, and, and the Lakers. I think those were the yeah. three teams that were in it. And you look at the Lakers. Well, reportedly they blew their pitch to him. Yeah, they just blew it. And you got the Phoenix Suns that were not the Phoenix Suns that we see right now. And um, then you look at the San Antonio, and then you still had a serviceable Tim Duncan. He was still there. And you had Kawhi Leonard, who was already on the rise and the next star in the NBA. You had some uh, kid by the name of DeJounte Murray, and they, you know, and they seemed, and you got Popovich there. So, yeah, it made sense why he picked the Spurs. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he could have picked Phoenix or Lakers, but he chose San Antonio. So, yeah. thank you, LMA. Yeah, you said the gap. Yeah, I think exactly that's what that was. He was that gap between the big three era and what was supposed to be the on the continuing Kawhi Leonard era in San Antonio. But yeah. 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 And then now the Spurs, you know, first of all, Kawhi blew a hole in the ship in San Antonio. Yeah. So why they're, they're going to take a, you know, a few years to recover from that. But yeah, you know, that's what a lot of people thought. He was just that gap between the big three era and the choir that was supposed to be the choir. Yeah, and also, I mean, I, I don't want to understate that, at least from what I've read, you know, the, the role that Patty Mills also played in the recruitment of LaMarcus Aldridge and as, as well. Yeah, right. Then on the staff, M.A. Odoka, who also played a big part in that. By the oh, yeah, a good point. Yeah, so, another former Blazer. 
Yeah, exactly. Portland guy. And honestly, I, I think one of the things going to Adoka real quick is I wonder if one of the reasons why he's not on Portland's coaching list right now is that he played such a significant role in that recruitment. And Neil O'Shea, the guy who runs the show up here, he's kind of shown that he, he remembers stuff like that. And that is one of the signature moves. So I wonder if that my, my tinfoil hat theory is that might be one of the reasons why we haven't seen his name pop up in Portland, but mm-hmm. <laughs> conspiracy theories for another day. Um, Jeff, I appreciate you short notice jumping on here talking about Becky Hammond. I think that's some insight that we haven't really had up here. I think a lot of the times it's very generic information that our, our fan base is given right. on, on Becky. So I appreciate your time real quick, Jeff, where can our, our listeners find you and your work, your Twitter, all that stuff. Sure. All that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Locked on Spurs. Subscribe to Locked on Spurs wherever you get your favorite podcast. Uh, yeah, pick a platform. I mean, you know how it is on your show. Oh, yeah. You know, just name it. Yeah, it's iTunes. It's there. You know, Stitcher. It's there. Google Play. Can't go wrong. Uh, and then just, yeah, subscribe to it. And we're, we're still covering the Spurs despite it being the thick of things in the offseason. We had some fun recently regarding uh, we, we entered the multiverse. The, the, the Marvel multiverse and the, the last episode regarding coaching and the Spurs moving forward. It was a really good one. And so it was a lot of heavy debate on that one. Not going to give it away. Got to get people to click on it. And uh, yeah, news for San Antonio and Fox 29 San Antonio.com, the Spurs zone. Uh, check out the uh, articles we have there. I did a recent feature an exclusive with Kelton Johnson and what he did uh, for the San Antonio community specifically. Let's put it this way. He gave, uh, uh, basketball equipment to a high school, uh, kind of one of the poorer high schools in San Antonio, valued at over $10,000. So um, he's doing good things in San Antonio. Go check it out. News for San Antonio, Fox 29, sanantonio.com right now. All right, Jeff. I appreciate it. And yeah, San Antonio, you know, from one small market team to another, at least that's what they call us. You know, it, it's hard not to root against the Spurs even when they're even when they're playing the Blazers. So I, I appreciate your time, Jeff. Thank you again, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Locker Room every Saturday bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.